Mindfulness Outreach Initiative is a nonprofit insight meditation organization located in Omaha, Nebraska. We provide meditation instruction based on ethics, compassion, and wisdom, as well as social outreach programs based on transformation and healing. To join the MOI community or to practice generosity, please visit our website at mindfulnessoutreachinitiative.org. So today, you'll notice that things are a little different. (laughs) We decided, since this was the fifth Tuesday, that rather than having a formal Dharma talk, we would have a less formal conversation about practice, about our practice, if you want to talk about your own practice, whether you just have comments or questions, or you just want want to share kind of what's been going on in the last few weeks or months or whatever is up for you. I'm involved with another group that does this on a monthly basis, and, and they also sometimes will catch up with each other just about what's going on in their lives, which you're also welcome to do. The one thing that I want to make clear is it's, it's safe to say anything here. We are streaming. That's out there. Keep that in mind. The other thing is it's not a therapy group. And I would encourage you to not to give advice <laughs> unless it's asked for. I have a tendency to do that. And, you know, for the most part, this is more of a sharing. At least that was kind of the way we talked about it and envisioned it. So if someone doesn't ask for advice to be given, we just listen, we hear them, and we can just sort of give everybody a chance to speak as they wish. You're certainly, it's okay to pass. You don't feel like you have to speak or say something. And it's okay to share. Either one is just fine. One of the things that Anne mentioned to me just tonight was, you know, the other thing we can do is if it's a little difficult getting started, we can ask a question. You know, you can just bring a question up to consider and then people can give their impressions on that. And I'm comfortable with whatever anybody wants to do. So, And of course, the precepts apply. Be respectful, be kind be compassionate, all of those things that we endeavor to practice on a daily and even moment-by-moment basis. So we'll use this microphone, and we'll pass it around to whoever wants to speak. And, you know, this is a little experimental. We're kind of feeling our way through it, so it might seem a little disorganized at first, and that I think is fine, because I think it's it's good for these kinds of things to develop more organically and for people to feel as though they're a part of it so that we can build more of a sense of community with each other rather than just having a teacher talk about the Dharma and maybe a few questions afterwards. It gives us a chance to get to know each other, interact, share a practice. All right, well, I'll, I'll, I'll start. So... Um, Lately, life has been, over the last few months, rather busy, and it kind of always is for me. We have two adult children living at home and a grandchild living with us, and and Brenda and I are in our mid-60s, so um, she's already old because she's over 65, and I'll be 
old next year because I'll be 65. <laughs> so, so we're working with that and coming into a time in our lives where we begin to notice some of these things with the body and with the mind that happen as we age, as we get older. As life gets busy, it gets to be an interesting thing begins to happen to my practice. Uh, and this probably happens to most people, is that you sit down to meditate and the mind is just going, right? It's all about things to do and and all about this proliferation and and identifying with things. And, and so I've noticed a lot of that lately. And I, I had a great chance to talk with one of my teachers about it not that long ago. It's funny because as I'm talking, it's hard for me to believe that these things are coming out of my mouth because I'm supposed to be this accomplished Dharma practitioner. And it's like, I'm saying the same stuff that I might have said 25 years ago, 30 years ago when I was just starting. <laughs> and, and Mark, my, my teacher is also named Mark. My teacher um, was kind of like, yeah, and so I'm like, well, you know, I'm, I'm a little disappointed that it's that way and there's not much concentration and that sort of thing. And he said, yeah, well, in, in essence, he said, who told you it was supposed to be any certain way? The whole point is to be at peace with what is here. And I'm like, boy, how many times have I said that to other people? <laughs> so that's kind of where I am. You know, it's a matter of just being at peace with what is happening on and off the cushion and that seems to be, things seem to be moving in that direction, which is really quite wonderful. Even if things are difficult or unpleasant, there's a sense of okayness there that is, seems to be increasing over time, which maybe has been going on for a long time and I haven't noticed, but it's become more prominent in the last several weeks or months. And, and I'm really grateful for that. So that's kind of where I'm at. One of the things that you said struck a chord with me. I can't help but as I ease back into from being gone a couple of weeks, I had an instance coming into retreat where it was super challenging because it wasn't going the way I wanted it to go. So I had to provide a COVID PCR test Everybody did. And then there was a rapid test in our rooms that we took. So I really appreciated Menla and um, the people that were holding the retreat, their thoughtfulness to just creating a safe container for everyone. And this was a time, uh, my retreat was in New York, where New York State, for the first time, really had begun to relax their standards, you know. So they had been kind of like really holding on to many of the mask mandates and and things like that. And so I took a PCR test Wednesday I was, uh, to get there on Saturday. And as some of you may recall my worry about it coming back inconclusive. And I don't know if I willed that or not, uh, but Friday I received an email that my test results were inconclusive. And so I was like, okay, uh, it was Thursday night, actually. So I was like, you know, I have to have a PCR test <laughs> with, you know, showing that I am not ill. 
And we do all this work about, you know, me with my mantra, welcome everything, push nothing away, and being okay with things as they are. And I get that, being sick and going, well, I'm sick, okay, take care of myself. Uh, But this was like a new level. So I was being asked to, uh, and this is a retreat that has been going on for four years that I go to every year that I look forward to with a teacher that means a lot to me. And we haven't met for two years. And so it was like all these other things. It was like, ooh, you're really being tested. And I think I talked about this, you know, right before I left of just when things don't go the way they want them to go. And it just seemed like there were so many more layers to what I was being asked. It was like, where do I get a PCR test? They cost $300? What? Like, oh, I need a 24-hour one? Where can I get that? I don't know the land. I don't know where to go. So I did have one of the retreat staff help me. And I found, they're like, it was funny because I was like, really? They said, just come into the city. There's one on every corner. They're talking New York City. And I'm like, okay, I've been to New York City, you know, a handful of times. I've never driven in there. And I'm certainly not, you know, in my van, for those of you that, (laughs) and my dog, looking for a PCR test. Anyway, I'm like, is there, you know, someone else? So we, I found one outside of the city that just took me on like a two-hour detour. And they said that it would be right. So I show up and they're like, we're not doing three-hour PCR tests, but we're doing 24 hours. So it was 9 a.m. Friday. They're like, no worry. There's a bunch of people with New York accents. They're all going on a cruise. They're like, where are you going? Upstate New York. She's like, oh, sorry. (laughs) I, I was secretly like, no, sorry to me. So anyway, sorry. So 9 a.m., 24-hour turnaround, I got this. Like, it's not going to come back again inconclusive. So I go in, I take it, and uh, they'll email me. I was like, I, I rode that wave. Everything's okay. Just keep going. Keep going as planned. And so 9 a.m., I started checking my email four miles away. There's no email. It's 9.30. Like, there's no email. Like, I have a number. They said 24 hours. I'm going to call. I'm going to call. So I call. This is, and uh, somebody answers, and they're so nice. And if any of you have navigated COVID tests and PCR tests, you can't get a hold of a live person. I had a live person. I felt good. Four miles away from the retreat center. I'm sorry, ma'am. It will be there shortly. Do not panic. He says. I'm like, am I panicking? I'm not panicking yet. He's like, keep checking. Fine. I wait another hour. Nothing. So I call back again. She said, well, you know, on Saturdays, they come in later. Okay. It's 1130. And then it's 1230. The fourth time, they're like, it is coming. (laughs) Thank you. I'm like, there's no reason for me to call again. I'm going to go to the retreat center. And maybe, you know, I'm just going to be there 
and see what they say. And maybe they can give me, like my mind started doing everything it could possible. And I'm watching this, but I don't care. So I'm saying, well, this is stupid, this PCR test, because I could have picked up COVID and certainly they could just let me take the rapid and it would be okay. Or maybe they're just saying this, you know, my mind is like, you're going, I'm going to be physically there. So anyway, I went there. And as I drove there, what I was really wanting and needing is just somebody to be compassionate and to say, I understand what's going on. I understand this is important to you. And, and even that, uh, telling me that I could not enter a retreat, if they were compassionate, I was convincing myself that I, I would be okay with it. And maybe I would just enter a retreat a day late. So there was part of my mind that was saying, you might not get what you want. And I don't think that I've done that before. You know, it's like, I want this. I'm going to force this to happen. So I was able to watch that. And luckily, the woman that was checking us in was that compassionate person. I did, uh, on one of the four phone calls, the fourth phone call, I said, can you just, he told me my test was negative. I said, can I just record you on my phone just to have something? Can I just do that? And he's like, okay. So like, I'm recording this and I'm giving to the woman. And I said, I'm so sorry. I'm waiting for this formal email. I have this guy that says it's negative. So I play it to her. She's super compassionate. She says, oh, thank you so much. And she took down my information to contact them. I said, I probably, I, I could have had just anybody like do this, but I didn't, you know, and, but she was just so compassionate. And I sat there and I just want you to know that that email did not come until 930 that night. But because somebody was compassionate and because I could lay it down and not be too tied to it and go, if it's the next day, it's the next day, I think that that may have made a difference for me. But we talk about this all the time, wanting things to be different than they are. And this really, really tested my limits. It really did. I don't know if I handled it right, but I feel like I had a lot more skills <laughs> than an earlier self. So the dharma is the dharma's good. Thank you for listening to that. Lately, and like lately as like the last year, I've not had as much of a consistent practice that I have had in the past. And... I'm still kind of unwrapping that a little bit. I'm realizing lately that there are certain things about me that I realize that whenever I have a disruption in routine, it's very difficult for me to get back into a routine or to establish something that's new. So, you know, a year ago I bought a house, I have a new space. I, you know, recently just kind of went on to my own, my own business. So, those are all good. Those are all great. Um, but I know that I tend to seek out comforting things rather than things that are hard or take effort. And so I've just been doing my best to be mindful of that, even though I'm doing it in the moment. I'm like, I don't like this. 
like, you know, I don't need to look at Instagram for an hour a day, but, you know, there I am. The algorithm makes it so easy to do so. So, yeah, that's just what I've noticed, I guess, lately, and I'll think more later if I have anything else to share. <laughs> Having compassion for yourself, I think, is very important, and what you were talking about with others having compassion for you. I feel like for myself, I really try to start with myself when it comes to compassion and not really rely on others to give that to me. With my practice, I'm not good about sitting every day. I aspire to sit more regularly, but this place has been really good for me for my practice. It gives me time to sit with others that I have a lot more accountability towards. And I, I don't have a problem showing up to something I have an appointment for, but I don't make appointments for myself. And I'm okay with that for now. I realize that for now, my practice is mostly group meditations where maybe there's a Dharma talk, maybe there's just a sit. And I find both of those um, very helpful. I get a lot out of them. I'm able to really just focus on the breath and quiet the busyness of my mind during those times. Sometimes I fall asleep. But it's very relaxing, and, and I also use breath meditation to fall asleep at night. So I'm not surprised that I will fall asleep sitting in a chair as well as laying down. And I can literally just put myself to sleep um, within five minutes of laying down and doing some breathing. And my partner's a little jealous of that because they have trouble getting to sleep. And often will wake me up when they come to bed in the middle of the night around two o'clock, but I usually just like take a few deep breaths and put myself back to sleep. So these group things are, are going really well. I do some online stuff with a group out of New York and those Dharma talks are so different than these Dharma talks, but they're talking about the same thing. And I always find comfort when I hear the same message. I've learned that a lot of times a Dharma talk may be repeated several times throughout the year. So you feel like you've heard it before, but I feel like that's just part of the process where it's about repetition. And for me, that is the part that I really enjoy because when I first started my practice, it's been a couple years. My employer had some meditation classes online because of the pandemic, and I, I went to a few of them. I was struggling with loneliness and and then I, I wanted more and more. And as, as I learned more of the language, it started to make more sense to me. You know, some of the words like sangha and precepts and all the different Dharma talk stuff was kind of like Greek to me. And until I had heard it a dozen times or so, it wasn't really sticking. And the more it stuck the more interested I was in it. And it just kind of feeds off of that. So, you know, I've made a lot of changes in my life to be able to follow more closely the Eightfold Path. And that 
I, I feel like it's just feeds into itself. And the more you do, the more, you know, the, the more sense it makes and the easier it is. And hearing some struggles of other people reminds me of my own struggles. And that's, I guess, kind of where my practice is currently. I'm a relatively new new to the practice and it was comforting mark to hear you share your struggles because i look at you as like a really accomplished meditator and then you're just like it's it's i'm like okay well i'm not doing it wrong if, if he's having um well it's a true if, if you're having that, yeah that's that's a good point um but i started practicing probably last fall and then i did a retreat in in january and that was like boot camp for me. You know, it gave me the discipline, you know, to make this uh, a daily practice after that. And since then, I have the attitude that this is the most important thing that I do is meditate every day. And, you know, I'm, I'm you know, starting to see like benefits in my life from, from doing it. But and as a new meditator, though, as you know, I push my limits and sit for longer things that come up it's anything but boring sometimes like emotional pain you know might come up I'm like oh this is interesting I'm going to sit with it and sometimes it's awful and I just sit there with it you know other times like pleasure you know and it's exciting and and, and I'll sit there but but lately especially the last several mornings in my sit nothing is coming up and nothing's happening and my mind is saying this is boring this is boring nothing's happening I'm not feeling pleasure or pain or anything and so I feel like my mind is trying to stir things up or engineer some great ex- experience. And, and, and that's, been, that's just where I'm at today. That's kind of what I'm struggling with. And I feel like this isn't meditating because I'm trying to engineer something or, or stir something up. And so any advice, you know, on that yeah. would, would be welcome. Wow, a lot of insight there about. Mm-hmm. Appreciate everybody sharing. So I've been practicing about three years, and um, yeah, it is a very important part of my life. Um, I have seen a lot of benefits from practice, both the wing of compassion and the wing of wisdom. I think for me, one of the things that I have benefited the most from is just gained a little more stability, a little bit more balance in being able to deal with difficult emotions to be able to kind of ride the waves with a little bit more skill. I'm pretty regular, although the last week or so I noticed that I was giving myself, I, I was not feeling well, I had some kind of a bug, so I'm like, oh, I think I should just lay in bed instead of going and sitting, you know, in my usual more early morning sit and and then I, I got back on the cushion yesterday morning and it felt so good. I was like, it's like it really did feel a bit like coming home. And, and it, it reminded me of how impactful my practice is. And that was probably a good thing because today has been really a difficult day. A few months ago, I started volunteering with a group that meets in the prison here in Omaha. It's an alternatives to violence project. And it was something I was very excited to do. But it's really hard, too, because I'm with men, some of whom have been locked up for decades. One man was locked up when he was 16, and he's 40. And he's hoping 
to parole in a few years. So I hear really, really difficult stories. And I was starting to wonder if if I was cut out for this kind of work, because it can kind of take me to a dark place. I was also reminding myself that my practices really helps me to, to navigate that, and it was work that I wanted to do. And then, um, so I got some good news yesterday that they were going to be offering a basic workshop for facilitators down in Lincoln to get more training for this Alternatives to Violence project, something that they hadn't done for a couple years because of COVID. And I looked at the dates and I was like, oh, this it's three Saturdays, you know? And I was, when I first heard they were gonna offer it, I was worried that I, well, I just worried that I'm gonna have a conflict. It's, and I, I looked at my calendar, I'm free all three Saturdays. So I emailed the woman down in Lincoln to register. And I look at where the location of the workshop is gonna be. And it was going to be at the Quaker Meeting House down in Lincoln. And um, 42 years today, my cousin was murdered at the Quaker Meeting House in Lincoln. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I wonder if they're still even at the same location. So I look it up. Yes, they're at the same location. I'm going to be going to the house where Janet was, you know, it was a brutal, brutal stabbing. And she and her friend, two two women, both died. And the man who was responsible was someone who Janet knew well. They had grown up together, both Quakers attending a meeting house in a small town in Nebraska. So my aunt and uncle, Janet's parents, were good friends with Randy's parents. It was, it was very enmeshed in this small town. And, um, and it was just a, it's a story that's impacted my family for decades because Randy was convicted and he was placed on death row. My aunt and uncle spent two decades testifying before the legislature and the parole board to try to get Randy off death row because, the, you know, that was just not something that they wanted to see happen. And, and I was 22. I was living in Lincoln in an apartment by myself and... For months after that, I woke up about the same time in the middle of the night, just with these nightmares, you know, and fear for my own, it just, my own safety felt so much more compromised. And so all of that is rushing back today. And I'm just going back and reliving that time uh, in Lincoln when we found out that Janet had been killed, my mom I drove to Central City to be with my grandmother. And the, just immediately, that whole family of mine, of Quakers of mine out in Central City, their immediate response was the tragedy for three lives, you know, for Randy's and for Vicky's and for Janet's. And my mom bought three roses for my grandmother to place at the front of the meeting house in Central City that Sunday, just. 24 hours after Janet had died. And so that, you know, that had a huge impact on me and my son, you know, and, and my, my own development around criminal justice and punishment and forgiveness and violence and nonviolence. And, you know, I, I, th I realized, oh my gosh, my whole, that's really what drew me to this Alternatives to Violence project. I mean, that story, that family story that I lived through made such an impact on me. I think it's why I found myself doing this work in the prison. So I emailed the 
I emailed the woman that was leading the workshop to just say, you know, I just want you to know this background because if my emotions are a little raw when I'm at the workshop, I'm in this space, um, I want you to know what that's about. And she's like, you know, I knew Janet. I, I've been a member of this meeting house for a long time. I was a member when that happened. It was one of the reasons why I started this project down in Lincoln. So I really wanted to be here tonight. I wanted to just sit here with all of you. And as I'm driving over, I'm just thinking, yeah, sadness. Yeah, a fear, loss, and also incredible gratitude to see how that event, the arc of that story and where it took me and where I am now. And I'm really glad to be here. Very powerful. Thank you. I have been thinking about the, you know, the benefits that my practice has brought me and in particular handling things that I cannot control. I have a family member who is struggling with addiction and being able to sit with and hold the wanting things to be different and wishing that I could do something I feel like uh, doing my practice and meta practice in particular has been so helpful in dealing with those feelings of wanting to send love and compassion and not being able to fix it and just being able to hold those feelings and help me handle it. It's been so helpful. I think I'd, I'm not sure how I could have dealt with it without this practice. So my practice, I, I consider myself kind of still a a toddler with all this. Pretty sure what you said about as I, as I start to understand the lingo a little bit, and you know I'm starting to figure a few things out as I go, which helps. I don't know. I, I try to get a little bit of meditation in every day, but you know I I guess off the pillow is where I try to. I've been trying to take the stuff we practice and and then pay attention to where I can apply it to my day-to-day life. Just to have focusing issues and, and, you know, easily distracted and things like that. And it's always been a struggle for me. And so I've been trying to use this and I find myself getting distracted, like, say, at work. Or I'm the guy that goes grocery shopping to see something shiny on the other side of the store. And then 30 minutes later, I have no idea what I even came in the store for. But but I'm learning to use this practice to when I get distracted, I'll say, all right, bring it back to your breath. And then I've been finding that's helped me get refocused on the present moment and the task that I need to be focused on. The the, the self-compassion, I get, I get into the, the mode of focusing on everything that I'm not doing yet instead of giving myself credit for the 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 progress I have made and, uh, you know, focusing on that and just keep trying to get better instead of, well, you could have done this better tonight. You didn't make time to do this. You didn't make time to do that. Well, you did get, you know, um, not so much focus on that, but just, you, you did find time for this, you know, let's start with that. Give yourself credit for that. And we'll keep building on it instead of, um, focusing on the, the, the negative or whatever. So yeah, I wasn't, uh, threw me off when I walked in here tonight. Um, but that's okay. That's good. Being uncomfortable is good. Um, that helps me grow. So um, anyway, thanks for being here and being part of my sangha, everybody. And 
Oh, that's so I figured out, I think roughly, although I hate doing math, it has been about 13 years since I started like formally practicing. And granted, it has not been anywhere near consistent the way that I want it to be. But today, for whatever reason, has been a day of reflection on acceptance and on also giving myself credit for what I have done and the strides I've made and how far I've come. And then something that Anne had mentioned about the self-compassion as well as accepting or be or allowing this, the compassion from other people, I think that I've been maybe too self-reliant and really expecting all of the compassion to just come from myself <laughs> instead of relying on other people. So I was able to have the opportunity and some gifts earlier of some interactions with some people that just knew what I needed to hear and called that out. And they were like, hey. It's cool. It's all right. It's okay for you to accept kindness. It's okay for for you to accept compassion and allow someone else to hold space for you. So I don't know. It feels kind of like it goes along with, with the spring and feels like kind of surfacing. I don't know. For some reason, there's there's not a better term. So yeah, I'm just grateful to be here and get back into the swing. I've been out of practice for a bit, so I'm excited to be back. Thank you. Your first two statements, I'm like, yep. So I've been practicing also for over 13 years, about the same time. And yeah, my practice doesn't look the way I want it to look either. It's hard not to give in to the comparing mind of like how practice is today versus how it was in the beginning. Because in the beginning, it was, oh, this is amazing. It was so regular. And it was so enjoyable. And that's the thing about this, but when you actually get that peace, that ease, that contentment, the stillness, like, oh, this is a vacation. This is wonderful. It's really easy to sit every day. My first retreat, it was a young adults retreat. So a lot of young energy and you could feel it. It was at Spirit Rock. So it was like a hundred people. It was huge. So that was my first experience of retreat. It was a seven day. But at the end, this young young man came up to me and they were like, oh, how'd you get started or blah, blah. I was like, oh yeah, I, I just remember telling him I've sat every day for like two years, maybe two years straight. And he's like, dad is impressive. I'm like, what are you talking? It's so easy to do. How, how are you struggling? But now today, fast forward, <laughs> 10 years later, it's like, oh, I get it. I totally get it. Yeah, expectations. I think I mentioned that last week, that these expectations, it's hard to let them go. That word grace, we talked about that last week, and I love that word. We don't use it in Dharma circles, and I think it is a great word because it encompasses compassion. It encompasses metta. It encompasses kindness, forgiveness, like so many qualities can go under this umbrella of grace. So that's kind of what's been in my mind, at least this last week, is just have some grace with myself. I tell people this that I work with. They're like, are you doing the best you can? And they're like, yeah, there you go. That's all you can do. You can only do the best you can. And if you say no, then like, okay, I will strive to do better the next day. So that's what I have to come back to is, am I doing the best I can? 
I believe so. Some days, yeah, I can maybe I'm slacking off a little bit. Like I want to get distracted, or it's just easy to, you know, fall into distraction with this body that has not youthful anymore, has its aches and its pains, and it's just not very comfortable to sit on the ground anymore. So trying to work with that and kind of also that beginner is definitely that whatever PC is, it is definitely more of a plateau in a way. And some days it like dips. It's like, <laughs> uh, so just trying to learn acceptance of, of this practice as well. And also not get so hyper-focused about the sitting aspect that, uh, oh, I'm not sitting. I'm not getting still. I'm not doing this. I'm not, what am I doing? Well, I do connect to my breath very regularly during the day. I do connect with the body. Mindfulness of body, mindfulness of breathing. It's, it has been ingrained. It has been trained from the cushion. It is just so habitual throughout the day. Uh, it's really easy to catch when I'm lost and distracted, when the mind is just stormy or windy or just very agitated. It's it's a lot easier to see. So trying to see the fruits of this practice after 13 years, it's kind of hard because I can get so focused on, oh, it's not this way. It's not this way. I'm not doing this. Hypercrit versus like, the opposite side, this middle way, there's two sides and really sh that trying to shift perspective um, and really introduce grace into this practice. I think that's where I'm at right now. Yeah. So we'll sit for about 10 minutes and that will put us at just a bit past 7.30. For those, um, and I think Brad, you were, you were one who would like advice on something, please feel free to stay a bit longer and talk with Ann or Kyle or myself. And for those of you who didn't ask for advice, you're still welcome to too. <laughs> or just to talk more about the Dhamma. I won't go on too long, but I'll just say that there's very few things that I become more enthusiastic about, more fired up about, more, more almost zealous about than sharing this practice, this path with others and, and hearing them share with me. So don't feel like you're imposing at all, at least where I'm concerned, if you want to talk more about Dhamma now or anytime. So we'll sit for about 10 minutes. I think we can just sit in silence without any guidance today. So go ahead and get comfortable.
this practice be for the benefit of all beings. May all beings find the end of suffering, unsatisfactoriness, discontent. May you all abide in, live in, walk in, love, compassion, appreciative joy, and equanimity. Thank you for listening. We know your time is valuable, so we are grateful you choose to spend it with the MOI community. This podcast is supported by listeners like you. To make an offering, please visit us at mindfulnessoutreachinitiative.org. And tune in each week for more Dharma talks, reflections, and teachings centered in the insight meditation tradition.